Good morning. I've been reading some things lately that I think um, has changed my uh, understanding, I think, even of how close we are to the second coming of Christ. It's an important message today that I think we all need to hear. We all need to realize how much Satan is working in the world, especially in Christianity, to bring things to the point where he will be able to deceive most of the world, as we know from Revelation. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, as we go over some information today, I pray that you may help us to understand how necessary it is for us to know biblical truth, to know what you have asked us to do, to know what you have told us as far as truth. Because Satan will bring everything else up to try to get us to move from that platform of your truth. Be with us today as we study. We ask in Jesus' name. I want you to turn with me to Revelation 16. There's something that I have always wondered about. That's in Revelation 16 where you go to the sixth plague. And this obviously is after probation closes, but you know that this started long before that. And that's where John sees in verse 13 and 14, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. My question has always been, historically as Seventh-day Adventists, we've looked at those verses and we've understood who the three people are. The beast has been the papacy. The false prophet is Protestantism that has gone astray, and we know that the dragon is Satan or spiritualism. And I've often wondered, how in the world are you going to get Christianity, both Catholicism and Protestantism, together to work with spiritualism? That's like an oxymoron, them working together. And so I've often wondered, how is that going to happen just before Christ's coming? And you notice there's a hint in there of what they're going to do. They're going to be bringing everyone together, it says. What's that called? Ecumenism. You ever heard of that word? So those are the three forces that are going to be working together under Satan to do what he wants to do to the world. There's some other texts that I could read too. You've probably read them in the Bible talking about what Satan is planning on doing. 
And I may read those at the end. I've read two books lately that I'm going to be quoting a lot of today. I've given some of those books to some of you here. And after the service, if you would like the names of those and the authors, I think it would be good if everyone here would read those books. There's also a website that if you're interested, I could uh, send to you. So after the service, if you're interested, give me your email and I'll send you this. It has to do with what is happening in our church of what we're going to be talking about today. What we're we'll talking about today is what's happening in Christianity in general. Something big is happening in the Christian world. Something that one side claims will bring world peace and the kingdom of God to this earth. The other side sees it as the final end-time deception talked about in Revelation 16. There, it talks about threefold union of Catholicism, false Protestantism, and spiritualism, leading the world into a final ecumenical movement to force the world to worship against what the Lamb has said. Keep in mind that the scripture we just read, as we look at the events that are happening in Christianity today, we can see this happening. Two movements started separately within Christianity in the last 40 or 50 years. Both started in the 50s and 60s, but today they are, in essence, merging into one movement. The first movement started with Peter Drucker, a businessman management guru in the 50s and 60s, who was an advisor to many companies. However, he was also deeply committed to Far Eastern mysticism. In other words, Buddhism, things like that. And he also followed Jewish Kabbalah mysticism. You may remember back, for those of you who are old enough, in the 50s and 60s when business started getting into meditation for keeping your mind clear for uh, many different reasons. But I can remember when that was starting to happen. Yoga, meditation became part of the business world. Peter Drucker was one of the main ones who used this method to its fullest. One of his protégés, Bob Buford, used Drucker's business model to start an organization named Leadership Network in 1984. It was to be a resource broker for the large megachurches that were springing up all over this nation and to help tie their efforts together and their theology together. Buford, too, was into meditation and mysticism. Out of the 1990s conference that they held, hosted by Leadership Network, a small group was uh, formed by people such as Mark Driscoll, Doug Padgett, Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, and Dan Kimball. They left Leadership Network to form their own group, who today is known as Emergent. All of these were heavily influenced by Drucker's interest in meditation, mysticism, and the New Age movement within the church. Drucker himself started a group called Leader to Leader Institute in 1990, an interspiritual, now that's a 
word that is becoming more and more used today. And we'll talk about that as we listen to some of the quotes in these books. An interspiritual thought forum, which includes Buddhists, globalists, evangelicals, and New Age leaders. Quite a mix, isn't it? Can you see what's happening, even in that little bit I've talked about so far? The second movement started with three Jesuit priests in the eastern United States in the 50s and 60s who wanted to modernize middle-aged mystical practices from people such as Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, and especially Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits. They took the spiritual formation exercises which Loyola had written up and invited Catholics, Protestants, Buddhists alike to attend their spiritual retreats and learn how to get closer to God. These exercises have swept over Christianity like a wave, especially with young postmodern people who are searching for more exciting and feelings-oriented experiences in their religious lives. And I'm going to talk about three or four things that are at the center of both of these movements, basically one movement today. Number one is an interest in what is called the centering or the breath prayer. This is either a single word or a short phrase repeated over and over again to yourself, either as you breathe or by yourself, that takes you into a meditation state. This is basically, as we'll read in one of the quotes today, something that will take you into self-hypnosis, like a deep sleep where you are, uh, where your known thoughts are eliminated and you get into a stage called the silence. Very similar to what we know as a mantra. How many of you have heard of the word mantra? Mantra, the word itself, means nothing more than to escape from thought. It's used in Buddhism to get you to the place where they want to be in this same area called the silence. This is all illustrated by a book from the 14th century by a mystic that's called The Cloud of Unknowing. And that's the whole point. It bypasses your knowing, reasoning, thinking to a place where you are no longer thinking in a uh, state where you're reasoning and, and bypassing basically your frontal lobes. It brings you into a place called the silence, a brain state in which your active thoughts and reasoning are overruled. Supposedly, it is a place where God, the God in you, can talk to you and lead you. The next thing that is part of this whole experience is something called the labyrinth. It's a geometrically shaped path leading around and around with prayer stations and candles along the way where when you finally get into the middle, you hopefully will be able to enter into that silence and listen to the God within you speaking to yourself. There are organizations that are teaching this and training spiritual directors to lead and to teach others how to get into this meditation also. I'm going to have Mike come up here just for a second and tell about his experience in New Age that tells you where this movement is and where it's leading. I hope you all don't look at me like I'm crazy from now on. 
but uh, it, it, was, it happened at a time when I was, um, I was away from God and was not interested in God, and I had a coworker um, that told me about uh, a book called Youth, Yoga, and Reincarnation, and uh, it was, uh, this was in the 70s. He, he knew I had asthma because we'd be friends. He told me that this would help, uh, help with my asthma. They teach you how to breathe and things like that. And so as, as I, I read the book, I, I uh, did the things in the book, and uh, one of the things that, that uh, they said to reach this calm place was to empty your mind. And so I had no feelings for God one way or the other at that time, at least uh, outwardly, and so I, I did that. And um, it, it did seem to... Um, be calming on me, uh, but um, I can tell you what happened that turned me back to God. Probably the thing that that's, it, it scared me to death. I woke up one night, and and I just felt like something was staring at me. And when I opened my eyes, there were two spirits right there in the room with me. And I had my friend on the other side of the room, and he was sleeping and snoring. And and these two spirits came close to me, and, and their eyes looked at me. I could tell that they, they wanted to take me over or do something. And I was so scared, I thought I was going to die. I, I really did. And I, I prayed, oh, God, please help me. I couldn't speak, but I did internally because I could not move. I was paralyzed. And, uh, and then they disappeared, and I woke him up right away and told him, he said, ah, go back to bed, you're just having a bad dream. But his father was into this stuff, and I was living at their house at the time, and I moved out. Uh, right after that, but I, I, uh, I knew then that if there is a real devil, and I saw spirits with my own eyes, that there was a real God, and so that really pointed me back towards the right direction. Over the next two years, I had two or three other instances where I, I would wake up and I'd be paralyzed and couldn't move uh, from the stuff that I'd done before, and I was afraid that I would uh, be that way permanently, and, and so I just prayed for God to help me, and uh, it's a scary experience. It doesn't happen that way for everybody, but I want you to know it is absolutely real. So, don't don't investigate. These two movements that I mentioned have basically merged today to become as what is known the emergent church movement. They use the same spiritual exercises to get in touch with the God in you. They all believe in a future one-world spirituality that will bring in world peace, and they believe that those who preach doctrine rather than mysticism will be the hindrance that would keep the world peace from happening. This movement teaches ecumenism by all world religions and the responsibility of everyone working together for world peace through social activism. Did you hear all those things? I want to read two uh, quotes from the Great Controversy. Through the two great errors, the immortality of the soul and Sunday sacredness, Satan will bring the people under his deception. While the former lays the foundation of spiritualism, the latter creates a bond of sympathy with Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome, in trampling the rights of conscience. And then a couple pages later, 
You notice where it said that those who believe and preach doctrine rather than mysticism will be the hindrance that would keep this thing from happening, this world peace. Those who honor the Bible Sabbath will be denounced as enemies of law and law and order, as breaking down the moral restraints of society, causing anarchy and corruption, and calling down the judgments of God upon the earth. Their conscientious scruples will be pronounced obstinacy, stubbornness, and contempt of authority. They will be accused of disaffection toward the government. Ministers who deny the obligation of the divine law will present from the pulpit the duty of yielding obedience to the civil authorities as ordained by God. As the Protestant churches reject the clear scriptural arguments in defense of God's law, they will long to silence those whose faith they cannot overthrow by the Bible. Though they blind their own eyes to the fact, they are now adopting a course which will lead to the persecution of those who conscientiously refuse to do what the rest of the Christian world is doing and acknowledge the claims of the papal Sabbath. I'm going to quote some snippets here and there. It's going to be a little while because I have quite a few, but I think we all need to hear what these people in that movements themselves are saying. These are not my words. I'm going to start out reading some snippets from a book called A Time of Departing by Ray Youngen. This is from a lady who is described herself as a, a, a skeptic when it came to mystical practices and so on. And she got into meditation, and this is her experience. In 1984, when I first learned to meditate, I had, I had read a prayer. Excuse me. I had read that prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. So I opened my mind and listened without realizing that meditation is a very powerful force. Soon I began to notice unusual sensations in my body while meditating. It felt like energy flowing through me. In the morning, I woke up feeling happy and energetic and filled with a glowing warmth as I thought I had been sleeping in the sunshine in a sandy beach. Gradually, the sensations became stronger and stronger, and after a while, it seemed like electric currents were coursing through my body. My fingers tingled, and I felt a slight throbbing in the palms of my hands. I had no inkling of the significance of this energy until one night in a very lucid dream I was told that I could heal. Another person who is warning of getting into this is is saying, not since Gnosticism of the dawn of the Christian era has there arisen the philosophy as pervasive and threatening to Orthodox Christianity as this movement. It would be difficult to find any area of life which has not been touched or redirected to some degree by the concepts of this movement. Remember that we just talked about, Mike had told a little bit about meditation and what he saw in meditation. This is exactly what New Age people believe in meditation, that it takes you to the place where you can speak with your spirit guides. Most of the people in New Age understand who these spirit guides are. Um, They don't make any bones about it. And yet, when we see Christians going into the same type of meditation place, do you think it's going to get any different answers? One of the questions 
It was Alice Bailey, the famous occult prophetess who coined the term New Age, who made this startling assertion. It is, of course, easy to find many passages that link the way of the Christian knower with that of his brother in the Eastern philosophy. They bear witness to the same efficacy of method. What this occult lady, Alice Bailey, who's very famous, is saying, if you go to Eastern philosophy, if you go to New Age movement, what's happening today in Christianity, they use the same methods. She acknowledges that. It is the final objective of yoga meditation that God in everything, a force or power flowing through all that exists. That's the final goal of yoga meditation, to get to where the God in you can speak to you. Brings to mind something that many of us who have been Adventists for many years understand. Back in the uh, turn of the century, in the 18 to 1900s, how many of you have heard of Dr. Harvey Kellogg? Dr. Kellogg was a member of our church. If you didn't know that, he made cornflakes, made the whole Kellogg empire. To help fund some of his activities, he put out a book called The Living Temple. In this book, there were many thoughts of what we know now, know now as pantheism, which is exactly the thought that I have just told you, that God is in you, God is in everything, and you are part of this universe altogether. Ellen White opposed this book, said it was the alpha of apostasy in the Adventist church in the turn of the century. She also made a statement that the, and alpha is what? The first letter of the Greek alphabet. She said that the omega, which is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, of this apostasy would come just before the end of the world, and it would be far worse than the alpha was. What's interesting is that many of the general conference leaders in our church believed in that book, The Living Temple. They were completely fooled by the ideas that were in there. And it took many years of Ellen White warning about that and showing where it was taking people before people really understood where that was taking people. And it took John Harvey Kellogg right out of the church. If you read what Ellen White has to say about this, it's basically something that will lead to a great shaking within our church. People will go off in different tangents following these things that are happening, and basically many will leave the church because of these. The encouraging thing that she also brings out, though, is that the people who leave will be replaced by many outside in other churches who see what's going on and what we're talking about today and who will leave and join us in standing for biblical truth and what God has set up. I'm going to keep reading a few more now. The premise here is that in order to really know God, mysticism must be practiced. The mind has to be shut down or turned off so that the cloud of unknowing 
where the presence of God awaits can be experienced. Practitioners of this method believe that if the sacred words are Christian, in other words, if you chant the word of Jesus, 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 over and over and over again, that that will get you Christ. It is simply a matter of intent, even though the method is identical to occult and Eastern practices. Contemplative, this was something that really was interesting to me. Contemplative leader Basil Pennington, who was one of the three Jesuit priests who came up with this in the 50s and 60s, openly acknowledges its growing size. He says, we are part of an immense, large community. And you know what his next three words are? We are legion. Legion. Does that strike you as, in the Bible, remember when Christ came and threw the devil out of that man and the, the devils, all the devils went into the herd of pigs? What did the devil say? We are legion. One of my personal experiences, this author says, with the saturation of mysticism in the Catholic Church was in a phone conversation I had with the head nun at a local retreat center who told me the same message that this other author is saying. She made it clear the cloud of unknown, that book, the cloud of unknowing, is now the basis for nearly all Catholic spirituality and contemplative prayer is now becoming widespread all over the world. Speaking of a meeting between the late late Pope Paul VI and members of the Catholic Trappist Monastery, this is what Thomas Keating said. The pontiff declared that unless the church rediscovered the contemplative tradition, contemplative prayer, mysticism, and all that, renewal cannot take place. He specifically called upon the monastics because they lived the contemplative life to help the laity and those in other religious orders as well to bring in this dimension to their lives. Contemplative spirituality reaches far beyond the walls of the Catholic Church. Mainline Protestant traditions, Episcopalians, United Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, United Church of Christ, etc., 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 have dived into the contemplative waters also. Their deep tradition of 20th century liberalism and social political activism has left them spiritually dry and thirsting for supernatural experiences. This school of practical mysticism gives them a sense of spirituality while still allowing them a liberal political correctness. Many Protestants are looking to satisfy that yearning by a return to Western mysticism. This a college professor points out, my students have been typically middle-aged and upper middle-class Methodists, Presbyterians, Congregationalists, and Baptists, active in the lay leadership of their churches. To outward appearances, they are quite conventional. Yet I have found that virtually every one of my students has encountered the New Age in one of its many forms and has been attracted to its mysticism.
There are so many quotes that I could give that we could be here till 3 o'clock this afternoon, but obviously I'm going to cut this short and only do the ones that I uh, think are most appropriate right now. Um, New Agers see contemplative prayer as one of their own practices. New Age therapist Jacqueline Small says, a form of Christian meditation, its practitioners are trained to focus on an inner symbol that quiets the mind. When practitioners become skilled at this method of meditation, they undergo a deep trance state similar to auto-hypnosis. This is a New Age therapist talking now about Christians. The editors of the magazine New Age Journal have put together a book titled As Above, So Below, which they promote as a handbook on paths to spiritual renewal. Along with chapters on shamanism, goddess worship, and holistic health, there is a chapter devoted to contemplative prayer. Those who have practiced transcendental meditation may be surprised to learn that Christianity has its own time-honored form of mantra meditation. Reliance on a mantric centering device has a long history in the mystical canon of Christianity, obviously talking back to the Middle Ages with the Catholic mystics. Perhaps the most compelling example of all is one by a prominent figure in the contemplative prayer movement, Tilden Edwards. Edwards is a founder of the prestigious Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C., a center which turns out spiritual directors from its training programs. He recommends a book, for all who want to get into this, the book is called Psychosynthesis. The book Edwards recommends is a book written by a world-famous occultist, Roberto Asagioli. This is what's being recommended when you get into this. Another person says, this mystical stream or contemplative prayer is the Western Bridge to Far Eastern Spiritualism. There's another guy named Philip St. Romain who wrote a book about his journey into contemplative prayer called Kundalini Energy and Christian Spirituality. This title is revealing because Kundalini is a Hindu term for the mystical power or force that underlies Hindu spirituality. In Hinduism, it is commonly referred to as the serpent power. The same Saint Romain says, I cannot make any decisions for myself without the approbation of my inner advisor, whose voice speaks so clearly in times of need. There is a distinct sense of an inner eye of some kind seeing with my two sense eyes. If any of you know anything about New Age, that one eye is that knowledge that they're trying to get. In fact, we see it on our dollar bill, don't we? Could it be that those who make the journey to the true self are in some ways demonstrating what lies in store for the entire race? What magnificent world that would be for the majority of people to be living out their true self state. Such a world cannot come, however, unless hundreds of thousands of people experience the same regression of the ego in the service of transcendence or meditation and then restructure the culture to accommodate similar growth for millions of others. 
a, a book titled Metaphysical Primer outlines the basic laws and principles of the New Age movement. First and foremost is the following principle. You are one with the deity, as is all of humanity. What text do you think that brought to my mind? In Genesis, what did Satan say? You shall be as God. It is important to understand that interspirituality, that's this method or what they are trying to get to where everyone is together. Every spiritual religion is going to be together. There's no difference anymore. And when I read that, I thought immediately about our lessons this quarter. What are our lessons teaching us to do? Evangelism. There's no need for evangelism in the world as they know it because everyone is okay in their belief and their church. And in fact, if you try to evangelize, you will be persecuted. That is what's coming. It is important to understand that inner spirituality is a uniting of the world's religions through the common thread of mysticism. And immediately I thought about Revelation 16, the verse that we just uh, read a little while ago. The evangelical consensus, consensus has shifted decidedly in the past two decades. Our collective message is now short on doctrine and long on experience. Thinking is deemed less important than feeling. The love of sound doctrine that has always been a distinguishing characteristic of evangelicalism has all but disappeared. And this is written by an evangelical pastor. A national poll in 2001 revealed that 84% of those questioned believe that God is everywhere and in everything rather than someone who is somewhere. 84% of Christians now believe that, that he's just a force. Time is running, so I'm going to cut short a few of these. Um, M. Scott Peck, who was one of the major leaders in this emergent church movement and in New Age, says this. He writes a book on, um, he proposes how one should tackle adverse situations in their lives with the goals being both psychological and spiritual growth. But what does spiritual growth mean to Peck? Well, we can learn this by the very statement he poses. I have said that the ultimate goal of spiritual growth is for the individual to become as one with God. He then makes this bold proclamation. It is for the individuals to become totally holy God. Another one, Episcopal priest Matthew Fox says, the cosmic Christ Fox explains, is the I am in every creature. And Jesus is someone who shows us how to embrace our own divinity. So he's saying Jesus wasn't God. He had this divinity within himself, just like we have this divinity in ourselves, so that we can become God just as he did. He is a person who showed us how to do this. So he 
basically they're saying Jesus is not the Son of God anymore. He's only someone who did went through his experience to show us what we can do. In contemplative promoting literature, one can find numerous statements that either belittle or actually condemn the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The fundamentalist continually waves one or two out-of-context gospel passages in front of us, stretching them beyond all valid interpretation and meaning. Thus, the quotation, no one comes to the Father except through me, quoting John 14.6 that Jesus said, is often used to declare that no one except the Christian can attain to God or, for that matter, be saved. This, we all know, is nonsense. That's what they say. When the divine mother gathers up her harvest during the decades ahead, the chaff of fundamentalism will be separated from the good wheat of the new consciousness and left by the wayside. The exclusivist God is narrow, rigid, and blind. This God pays no attention to the sanctity and personal holiness of the people outside the Christian fold. That's how they put it. This God takes no loving and parental pride in the lives of great spiritual teachers who spoke of other paths to truth, figures like Siddhartha, Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, and so on, and so on. And we could go over many of those. I'm going to skip over to page 113. This is where it's leading to. To occultists, the significance of the Alice Alice Bailey writings has heralded anticipation of the appearance of a world healer or savior coming in the Aquarian age. He's known as the coming one in many different religions, including Mohammedism. This person was not to be the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom Christians await, but an entirely different individual who would embody all the great principles of occultism, chiefly the divinity and perfectibility of man. One of Alice Bailey's followers wrote, The appearance of the avatar, or this world teacher, by whatever name he may be known, has been prophesied in many religions as well as in the esoteric or the occult traditions. Now, who do you think that's going to be when he comes? There's no doubt in my mind that Satan is setting things up so when he appears, almost everyone in the world who has been following after what's happening in Christianity will look to him as their leader. Um, One of the main men in this movement is Leonard Sweet, He suggests practical ways to communicate God's unchanging truth to our changing worlds. Some of these practical ways include using a labyrinth and visiting a meditation center. He says, you either reinvent yourself for the 21st century or you will die. The acknowledgement section of a book he wrote, The Quantum Spirituality, shows very clearly his sympathies. Um, He calls people like Morton Kelsey, Willis Harmon, Ken Wilbur, major intellectuals in this New Age movement, and he says, uh, he calls them the new lights. Sweet adds that he trusts the spirit that led the author of The Cloud of Unknowing. In the preface of the same book, 
He disseminates line after line of suggestions that the old teachings of Christianity must be replaced with new teachings or new light, as he calls it. Throughout the book, Sweet favorably uses terms like Christ consciousness and higher self in no uncertain terms promoting New Age theology. When I hear a Christian talking like this, this is the author of the book, it creates a very deep concern within me for that person because I know what is meant by the alpha state that these Christians are taking themselves into. In Laurie Cabot's book, The Power of the Witch, which he's quoting, this is what she says, the science of witchcraft is based on our ability to enter an altered state of consciousness we call alpha. In alpha, the mind opens up to non-ordinary forms of communication, such as telepathy, clairvoyance, and precognition. Here we also may experience out-of-the-body sensations and psychokinesis, or receive mystical visionary information that does not come through the five senses. In alpha, the rational filters that process ordinary reality are weakened or removed, and the mind is receptive to non-ordinary realities, called Satan. The importance of this practice is made clear throughout the book. Alpha, she says, is the springboard for all psychic and magical workings. It is the heart of witchcraft. Then she goes on, mystics in every religious tradition speak of alpha states of consciousness and the lure of divine light, although they do so in their own metaphors and images. In their own ways, they have learned how to enter the alpha state as they pray or worship. They learn how to become enlightened. I'm going to read a little bit from the other book, and then we will conclude. What's, it? What's that? Yeah, we're going to. I'm, I'm going to conclude in a little bit, but I'm going to read a little bit more. <laughs> I'd love to, but... Now I'm reading a little bit from a book called Faith Undone by Roger Oakland. And um, I'm going to start uh, near the end and go backwards in the book a little bit. The new spirituality is a global movement to create the space for humanity to experience its natural impulse toward the divine way, which makes no one else wrong for the way in which they are doing it. Did you catch that? No one else wrong for the way they are doing anything. And this was said by Donald Walsh, who is a prominent New Age leader. A man named Bronznik says the emerging church must not become confined within the structure of Christianity. And this is perhaps where we can understand the theological limits of the emerging church. Those limits, there are none. Atonement is not part of this new reformation because all creation is already being saved and unified with God. Emergent leader Karen Ward asks this question. Is there an emergent theology of the atonement? She answers, I think not. Calling it the mystery we're in, she refers to the atonement as at one meant in a different sense. The term occultist and New Age prophet Alice Bailey uses to refer to all humanity's oneness and equality with God. That's what they term 
atonement, at one moment. We are being moved as a community beyond theories about atonement to enter into atonement itself or at one moment, the new reality and new relationship of oneness with God, which Christ incarnated and into which we are all invited for all time. And what the New Age movement is striving for, a time when all of mankind will realize both their unity and their divinity. New Age activist Barbara Marks Hubbard states, Christ consciousness and Christ abilities are the natural inheritance of every human being on earth. When the word of this hope has reached the nations, the end of this phase of evolution shall come. All will know their choice. All will be required to choose. All those who do not choose will die off. That's their goal. The leader of the nation's largest Lutheran denomination has called for a global Christian council to address an identity crisis on how churches interpret and understand the Bible. Presiding Bishop Mark Hansen of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America called for Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican Lutheran churches to, become, to come together, now listen to this, to combat a fundamentalist, millennialist, apocalyptic reading of the scriptures. Bishop Hansen believes that a global ecumenical group made up of Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Anglicans, and Lutherans is the answer to the crisis he sees. He calls this effort a ministry of reconciliation, which will result of Christ breaking down the dividing walls and reconciling the whole creation to God's self. He says that those who believe in a biblical end-time scenario and a literal biblical interpretation are counterproductive and holding back the cause of Christ. Incredibly, Hansen would like to reverse the outcome of the First Reformation, join hands with the Catholic Church, and embrace the Eucharistic Jesus. Brings about another point in this movement. Many of these Protestant evangelicals are going back to the belief in the Eucharist that the Catholic Church teaches that the body of Christ is actually in that bread. And you know what they call this? The second coming of Christ. This is the second time now when they're going back to understanding and believing that Jesus is actually in the bread. So no longer do you have a second coming of Christ to teach because it's already happening. Three more in this book. I let go of the notion that the Bible is a divine product, names, uh, writes a man named Marcus Borg. I learned that it is a human cultural product, the product of two ancient communities, biblical Israel and early Christianity. I realized that whatever divine revelation and the inspiration of the Bible meant, if they meant anything, they did not mean that the Bible was a divine product with divine authority. The Bible is no longer God's book. Now it's just a book written from human perspectives from two sides, the Jewish people and the early Christian church. Jesus almost certainly was not born of a virgin, did not think of himself as the son of God, and did not see his purpose as dying for the sins of the world. Okay. I'm going to skip that one and go to one last one here. 
Samir Selmanovich was raised as an Eastern European Muslim, then served as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor in the U.S. Today, he helps to develop the emerging church through his role in the coordinating group at Emergent Village and his leadership in the Re-Church Network. This is what he states. The emerging church movement has, become, has come to believe that the ultimate context of the spiritual aspirations of a follower of Jesus Christ is not Christianity, but rather the kingdom of God. To believe that God is limited to Christianity would be an attempt to manage God. On Selmanovich's website, Faith House Project, he presents an interfaith vision that will seek to bring progressive Jews, Christians, Muslims, spiritual seekers of no faith to become an interfaith community for the good of the whole world. We will have one world and one God. That's just a little hint of a website, if you're interested in that I told you about, of what's happening within our church in this same movement. I want to finish out now with three quotes from the first book, This is by the author of this book. When we receive Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Thus we receive God. Christians do not have to search for some esoteric technique to draw closer to God. The fullness of God has already taken residency in those who have received Christ. God will not work outside of what he has laid down in his message to humanity already in his holy book. The late Paul Bubna, president of the Christian and Mission, Missionary Alliance, wrote in an article, Knowing Christ is a journey of solid theological understanding. It is the Holy Spirit's illuminating the scriptures to our darkened minds and hearts that give birth to the wonder of unconditional love. That's how we find Christ. That's how we find God. It's not through centering prayers or anything else in that aspect. In a Catholic priest book, he says this, Through the discipline of contemplative prayer, Christian leaders have, have to learn to listen again and again to the voice of love and find there the wisdom and courage to address whatever issue presents itself to them. For, a Christian, for Christian leadership to be truly fruitful in the future, a movement from the moral to the mystical is required. And the last one, why would a Hindu monk advocate the Christian mystical tradition? The answer is simple. They are one and the same. Even though the repetitive words may be different, Christian words could be Abba, Father, Jesus, rather than Hindu words, the end result is the same. The Hindu monk knew this to be true, and it talks about a story here when he told somebody, you don't need to become a Hindu. You can just go back into this movement in Christianity, and you can do the same thing I'm doing. Um, and he says that this Hindu monk is basically saying what this author is saying. 
that all of the world's mystical traditions basically come from the same source and teach the same precepts. And that source is not the God of the Old Testament or the New Testament. The biblical God is not interspiritual. I want to just make you aware because when I went through these books, and these two books I quoted are written by non-Adventist authors who see what's happening in Christianity. If you want to know more of what's happening in the church, I'll give you that website. I'll send it to you by email. Satan is not stupid. Satan will couch everything he brings into Christianity and into our church in spiritual terms. The same terms will be used. Christ, God, prayer, everything will seem spiritual. But it's leading in a different direction. And unless we are aware of what's happening, it's going to be very, very easy for all of us to be sucked in by something that we may not even realize is leading in the other direction. I want to remind you again of what Ellen White said. She said, the Omega Rebellion will come within our church just before the end of time, and that will be so powerful that many people will leave. Don't let that be you. Our Father in heaven, we have been warned many times in Matthew 24 and other places of what Satan is going to try to do of how he will bring deceptions that are so strong that if possible, it would even deceive the elect. We know it's not possible to deceive the elect because the elect will be standing by you, Father, and will be reading your word and will be able to recognize the difference. But we know that it's going to be so hard to do that that much of the world will be taken in. We are warned about that in Revelation 16 where it even predicts how this is going to happen. We pray that you may give us that strength and discernment to know how to see it and how to meet it. Especially we ask that you may give us understanding on your great truths from the Bible that soon will be cast aside. Let us build our foundation on those and grant that you may be in our lives day after day after day, guiding us in our search for truth, guiding us in our experience with thee, and guiding us in how to spread that same message to others that we know in the near future will be almost impossible to spread. Continue to be with us now this Sabbath day. Bless us on this Sabbath day and help us to find those in our sphere that we may continue to witness to. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.